We talked about this uh, in the office this week. We know it's a little bit more of a distraction to dismiss the kids right now, but we really wanted them to be a part of the Advent reading, and I think you got to see how cool that was this morning. So uh, we're going to keep them in through the prayer time, uh, through the remainder of the Christmas season. I think that'll be good for them, and, and that'll be a fun thing. Um, man, I, I Mark, Mark hit on the fact that Christmas seasons can uh, run us ragged. Um, I think that that is something that's absolutely true. Um, but I'll tell you, that the, uh, the longer I've been a dad, the older I get, uh, Christmas is really growing on me. I, was, I told you guys this before that I was challenged several years ago about Christmas being a, uh, a good thing, not a bad thing, and I should learn to enjoy it and celebrate it for what it is. And I was like, all right, all right, uh, you know, I'll, be, I'll, I'll take that conviction from, from my fellow brother in Christ, and uh, God has been good helping me just see the gift of Christmas. And that song, uh, O Come All Ye Unfaithful, is one that Elise loves to play in the house, and uh, it's one of her favorite songs at Christmas time. And uh, I hate that song. And um, today I read the words, and man... That song is awesome and uh, should not be so quick to dismiss a song just because it doesn't feature the electric guitar. Um, so that is a powerful song. And what I think is interesting is the message of that song fits in perfectly with where we're going today as we look at the calling of Levi. So if you guys want to, go ahead and open your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at the calling of Levi today. Now, as you guys are turning there, uh, I, want, I want to remind you guys of an event, and I don't remember if I talked about it in service or not, um, but several weeks ago, we had quite the, uh, the morning in the Fields House. It was a Sunday morning. Um, I was already here at church, and the kids were getting ready for everything, and um, Reese, my second daughter, um, was running through the basement and jumped off of a little trampoline we have, a little exercise trampoline, right onto a toothpick, and the toothpick goes straight through her toe. It was incredible, like a toe kebab. I mean, it was like something out of a movie. My, my family has a problem. Um, we love to go to the emergency room and urgent care. I mean, like, it's like we're our home away from home. And I'm like, I'm, people tell me, you know, like, hey, Brandon, don't you wish you had a boy? And I just think, throwing a boy into this mix? Do you know how many times we go to the emergency room? So I, I, I'm just going to give you a list, okay? So here's a list. All right, so Caroline broke her foot. She's had multiple sprained ankles. She sprained her wrist and was in a sling for a while because she fell off a swing. She busted her eye this summer and had to have five stitches. Uh, not to mention she was five weeks early and started her life out in the NICU uh, before we got to bring her home. Reese broke her arm, falling off the monkey bar. She had her toe kebab. Uh, she got her tonsils out. Um, when she was an infant, we had to take her to the emergency room for severe croup. That was fun. Uh, and let's not forget when she had RSV and had to uh, have CPR twice and lived on a breathing tube for a week. Noelle? She, she broke her collarbone falling off the couch. Uh, this, is, this is the kind of situation we have. Gwen, to my knowledge, hasn't broken any bones yet. I say to my knowledge because I don't know. How do you keep them straight when there's this many trips to the ER, right? 
but uh, she did spend a couple of days in the hospital with RS RSV when she was a kiddo. So, I mean, like, we love the doctor. Amen, Elise? Just imagine, I just think uh, our children, if we lived three and 400 years ago, they'd all be lame beggars, okay? Like, that's, that's where we are as a family. Every time we turn around, somebody needs a doctor, okay? To, my dog is going to have to go to the vet right now because my dog needs a doctor. That's, that's kind of where we are as a family. Today, as we look at the, uh, the calling of Levi in Luke chapter 5, uh, Luke is going to show us the kind of doctor that Jesus is. He did it. He pulled it back. Somehow we got back to scripture. We did it. Uh, uh, he's going to show us the kind of doctor that Jesus really is. And, and Luke's a doctor himself, so he's a guy who's qualified to tell us the kind of doctor that Jesus is. And I think what we'll see today is that everyone needs a doctor, whether they're sick, have a broken bone, or a toe kebab, we all need a doctor. Uh, let's look at Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. It says this, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I, I love how Jesus ends this scene here. Uh, Jesus doesn't say that uh, Levi and his guests aren't sinners. When, when the Pharisees confront him with that fact, he capitulates rather uh, easily. Then he gives his rationale for being at the party. He says, I'm here because the sick need a doctor and not the healthy. Now, the interesting thing about that is that Jesus is subtly implying to the Pharisees that they are sick too, and that they need a doctor. But uh, one of the things that Jesus is not saying, and that the Pharisees missed, is he's not saying to them, I'm not here for you. He's saying the exact opposite of that, except they are so prideful, they can't see that they are just as sick as the ones that Jesus has come to have a party with. So despite the cynicism of the Pharisees, we see that, that Levi is quite happy to follow Jesus. In fact, he's so happy that he throws a party. Now, uh, Elise and I look back on our, our trips to the ER and the times we've had sick kiddos. Uh, we, we almost always end up with thoughts of gratitude that our sick and injured children have been healed. Uh, but, but honestly, we, we haven't had a, a party to celebrate these recoveries. Uh, but but there's, there's something to pausing and realizing 
that, that we have been healed. And when we stop and we think about it, it should make us want to celebrate. Jesus, the great physician, had healed Levi from a greater sickness than anything that, that my kids have ever experienced, and that he saved him from the sickness of sin and the sickness of death. Now, when, when I run through the catalog of injuries and illnesses that, that we've had in our home, I, I couldn't tell you when just about any of them happened. I mean, there's, there's so many, it's easy to get them confused, all right? But, but there's one illness I won't forget. There's one time when my family saw a huge miracle, and that was the day that God saved and protected Reese and brought her back, uh, uh, despite the fact that just being a, a week or so old, she had to have CPR twice. So we remember that week, and Elise and I thank God uh, every year in late March when that day comes. We remember it because that day there was a genuine and true miracle. A miracle. Now what I love about what Luke does here in Luke chapter 5 is he wants us to make sure we understand that what happens in the life of this tax collector named Levi is a miracle. It is a miracle. He uses these same terms about being a doctor. He says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And that particular passage is framed against two wonderful miracles. Turn back with me just a couple of verses to Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. And let's see the setting of, of the, the miracle of Luke's conversion, uh, I'm sorry, the miracle of Levi's conversion as it's set in Luke against two other miracles. Starting in verse 12, it says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, this word here, this word clean, is so important. As, as someone who was unclean, these lepers, this leper was an outcast. Merely touching someone like this would make you unclean and disqualify you from being able to participate in worship until you, being defiled by touching this person, has gone through all the purification rituals. This man asks Jesus not only to cleanse him, but to make him clean. To make him clean means that he can participate and worship again at the temple. He not only wants to be healed, he wants the opportunity to uh, worship again in the temple. And Jesus does this. He reaches out his hand, and his touch which should have made Jesus unclean, did not make him unclean, but instead made the leper clean. Jesus touched the untouchable, and they were better for it. Jesus touched the untouchable, and they were better for it. Now, 
Now think about our boy Levi, this, this tax collector. Now Levi is probably uh, his given name, and his name was most likely changed to Matthew. Matthew, the, the author of the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 9 tells this same story, but calls the man Matthew instead of Levi. Then the next chapter, in chapter 10, uh, Matthew um, makes a list of the disciples. And as he goes through the list, he identifies a man named Matthew. And that Matthew is called Matthew the tax collector. Mark 3 identifies Matthew as a disciple, but when Mark tells this story, he calls him Levi. And Luke 5 is the same way. He calls him Levi, but in uh, his list of the disciples, Luke calls Levi Matthew in the 12 disciples. So this call here is to Matthew, one of the 12 disciples who would later write the book Matthew. So anyway, think about our boy Levi or Matthew. We'll call him Levi today, okay? Just like this man with leprosy, Levi was an outcast. Tax collectors were bad news. They were seen as Roman sympathizers. They were considered traitors by Jews. They were the lowest of the low. They would steal from their own people to line their pockets and make themselves rich for the benefit of the people who were occupying their land. I mean, that's, that's pretty rough. That's, that's a, a, a pretty bad spot to be. And so these people were shunned. They were put on the outside of society. So Jesus tells this man, okay, keep, keep Matthew in the back of your head. Jesus tells this man with leprosy that he's willing to cleanse him. He reaches out and touches the untouchable. And he did this in a way that made him able to worship. Jesus, Jesus tells this man he has value. He communicates his love for him, his compassion for him, and he says that he is willing. When the whole world is unwilling, when everybody has shunned him and put him on the outside, Jesus says he is willing. Just think about that, that, that comparison here. We've got somebody with leprosy, and we've got somebody who's a tax collector. Both of them shunned and rejected, and yet we see Jesus move toward both of them. Then we, we see another miracle begin to happen before we get to the story of the call of Levi. The story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man in the next passage is one of the more famous miracles in the New Testament. So Jesus is teaching this crowd inside somebody's house. It's a big crowd. The, the house is packed. As a matter of fact, not only is the house packed, but they're like crammed around the door. There's a bunch of people at this house, and there's no way to force your way through the crowd to get to the front. And there's this man and his friends. This man is paralyzed. We don't know why. We don't know what happened. But this man is paralyzed, and he knows that Jesus can heal him. So his friends are bringing him to Jesus and can't get to him, can't get through the crowd. So they do what any reasonable person would do. They make a hole in the roof, and they lower him through. And they drop him before Jesus so that Jesus can heal him. Now, a whole sermon can be preached on the kind of friends that these guys are. But the meat of the story really isn't in the friends. The meat of the story comes from what Jesus does next. 
Let's jump in the middle of the story in Luke chapter 5, verse 20 through 26. It says this, And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Now, here is this paralyzed man, unable to help himself. This man is destitute. He is totally dependent on others. Without intervention, this man's life was going to remain the same. Now, just like we see in our story about Levi, in this story, there is also a a confrontation with religious people, with the religious leaders. These are the the church leaders, if you will, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. And they did not like what Jesus was saying. They thought it was blasphemy to forgive sins because only God can forgive sins. Now, the funny thing about this is, like, exactly, right? They're they're unwittingly making uh, Jesus' point for him. They're actually helping him make his case. So as the Son of God, he can forgive sins. And to prove he has the authority to forgive sins, what does he do? He heals this paralyzed man. And what is the lame man's response? The lame man's response is to pick up his mat and to glorify God. And that glorifying God, that praise seems to be contagious because those around see it, they see the work of God, they see the miracle that's happened, and what do they do? They glorify God as well. (coughs) Now let's go back to Levi's house. Let's think through the story of the call of Levi. Hey, Elise, can you get me a glass of water? Thanks. I'm going down. It's going to happen. (coughs) Now, now, uh, let's think about what happened at at Levi's house. Uh, Jesus called out to Levi, and he said to him, he said, follow me. He said, follow me. And then what does the passage tell us? That he left everything. He left everything everything to follow him. Now think about the desperation of the man with leprosy and think about the desperation of the man who was paralyzed. (coughs) Okay, this man, Levi, in a similar way, he needed to be cleansed. Just like the man with leprosy, this tax collector needed to be cleansed. He, He needed to be forgiven. He, he, he needed somebody else to help him be able to walk again spiritually. He was powerless to do it himself. 
He needed intervention. What I think is so amazing about this story is we almost see the first miracle of the man with leprosy and the miracle of the healing of the paralyzed man be foreshadowing of the spiritual healing that is going to happen in the life of Levi, the tax collector. Now, how often do we link physical healing as symbols of spiritual healing? And what I love is right in the middle, right in the middle of this story, we get Jesus specifically saying, so that you know I have the authority to forgive sins. So you know I have the authority to forgive sins. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. I can cleanse the leper. I can heal those who can't help themselves. Now let's talk about a sinner named Levi. Jesus is one who has authority to forgive sins. And whose sin can he forgive? The worst the worst of sinners. You've got the physical and social outcast, all right? You've got the physical outcast with the, with, the, uh, with the leper, and now you've got the spiritual and social outcast with the tax collector. I love how Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts these two things together. We're supposed to see them together. Now, last week, we looked at the call of Peter. And we saw how, how Peter responded. We put that together. Today, we're looking with our emphasis on the call to Levi. All right? Now, now, Peter seems to have been a respected businessman in his community. Every indication is that Peter attended synagogue. His brother Andrew followed John the Baptist. So Peter also seems to be part of a family that followed the scriptures and was looking forward to the Messiah. All right? And Jesus says, follow me. And Peter's response, as a man who seems to have been a good guy, his response is to be broken by his sin. Peter tells Jesus to leave him because he is a sinful man. All right, the, the invitation of Jesus is convicting for Peter. All right, he's, he's broken, he's humbled by this. He's convinced of his unworthiness. And Jesus' answer to Peter as he's humbled, as he's broken, as he says, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Jesus' response to him is to, to overcome his sense of unworthiness by inviting him into his work to say, follow me. Despite what you think, despite the fact that you're convicted of your sin and you feel humiliated, this guy who probably was a good guy, who probably was a good little Jew, all right, who, who went to Hebrew school and went to synagogue. When he was confronted with Jesus, he was broken by his sin. And Jesus said, hey, come with me. Now, we have Levi later in the chapter. And Levi does not need to be convinced of his sin and his unworthiness. Like, he knows there's no doubt in his mind. He doesn't have this revelation moment whenever he faces Jesus to go, oh no, away from me, Lord. Levi, Levi knows, I am messed up. I am a social outcast for a reason. I have made myself rich because I am a thief. Now that's a given. He, he's unclean like a leper. He's spiritually helpless as a paralyzed man. 
He doesn't need to be convicted of his sinfulness. He looks in the mirror every day, knows what he did yesterday, and makes plans to do it again today. No one with any social standing in the Jewish community will give Levi the time of day. He hangs out with other sinners and outcasts just like himself. He must think, all right, at least these people I'm hanging out with don't think they are any better than I am. And then he meets this rabbi, a man whose reputation is all over town, all over the region, a man who does miracles, a man who is a great teacher, a man who many are following. And this guy asks Levi, the outcast, to follow him. The, the social leper, he says, I'm going to include you. Jesus invites the guy that everyone has shunned onto his team. And Levi has a totally different response to this invitation than Peter. Where, where Peter says, away from me, Lord, where he's humbled by his guilt and his shame and wants to push Jesus away, Levi, on the other hand, is excited. Are you kidding me? You, you want to hang out with me? Let's have a party, right? That's his response. Okay, come to my house. We're going to eat like kings. Like, come on, we're going to have a party. So Peter tells Jesus to leave him, and Jesus tells Peter not to be afraid. And Levi says, let's have a party, and Jesus comes. And both responses are the right way to respond to the grace of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, whether you want to praise Jesus by throwing him a party, or whether you're broken over your sin, two what seem to be opposite responses are both the appropriate response. You know what they both say? It's not about me. They both say it's about him. They both say, this guy who's special wants me? I want to honor him. The other says, this guy who's special wants me? Why me? But both of them acknowledge the greatness and the goodness of Jesus. They both know they're sick and in need of a doctor. And then, then we have one of the most ironic exchanges in Scripture. Luke chapter 5, verses 30 through 32. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. Now, the, the pious religious leaders here have too much pride to act like Peter and say, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner, right? The, the pious religious leaders consider themselves too, too uh, uh, clean to be around these tax collectors and sinners. Then Jesus lays one of the greatest burns in Scripture on these guys, and they don't even see it. Jesus is telling them that they're the ones who's sick and need a doctor. He's telling them he is there for them. He is called the sinner to repentance. And these guys are the sinners too who need repentance. Now here's what's interesting. All right, Peter had this temptation to, to push himself away and, and, and hold himself in isolation. And Jesus 
in, includes him, pulls him in. The, the leper and the tax collector were outcasts. They were isolated. They were on the fringes. And Jesus brings them in and cleanses them. But these guys, the guys who think themselves righteous, who think themselves holy, isolate themselves from Jesus Christ by saying, I'm healthy, I don't need a physician. Think about that for a second. Jesus is one who is drawing people in, calling them to himself, leading them to repentance. But those who don't think they need Jesus remove themselves from the equation. They set themselves on the outside. They set themselves apart. And they try to get healthy on their own, despite the fact that they are sick and in need of the great physician, Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That is a powerful passage set against what we see in the life of Levi, in the life of Peter, in the life of the Pharisees. All right, you can, you can see the, the, the Pharisees here. Jesus, he, and you can see Peter and Levi here. He says to Peter and Levi, follow me. And they did. They walked out of the darkness. They walked into the light of Christ and they were forgiven and they were cleansed. But the Pharisees denied their sin and held themselves apart. They thought they could do it on their own. Where the leper was set apart in an obvious fashion. They could look down and they could see their need. They could see how they were unclean. The Pharisees clothed themselves in all of these external things that hid their, their dirtiness. Jesus later calls them uh, a whitewashed tomb filled with dead man's bones. They look good on the outside, but on the inside they are filled with death. This is what we have to ask ourselves. I, I started out by saying that that song, Come All Ye Unfaithful, stood out to me. I, I, was, I was thinking about these Pharisees. I was thinking about Levi. I was thinking about Peter as we sang this song this morning, and, and I was struck by it. Come all ye unfaithful. The Pharisees would not have liked that song because they would have seen themselves as the faithful. And of course, they're supposed to come. But Jesus' invitation is constantly over and over again to the weak and the broken, to the humble, to those who know their need, to those who are unfaithful, weak, and broken, Christ is born. 
That is a powerful concept. And as we were standing there singing that today, I was just struck by that. I didn't do anything to deserve Jesus to come. I didn't earn it. These Pharisees who dressed themselves up in religious action think they deserve it. But when they think they deserve it, they deny themselves the very thing they need in the great physician, the healer, Jesus Christ. So what is our response to a message like this? What's our response to the gospel? Are we going to see ourselves as on Jesus' level, good, righteous, on our own account? Or do we see ourselves like Levi? Do we see ourselves like the paralyzed man who needed someone else to save him? Do we see ourselves like the leper in need of being cleansed? Do we see ourselves like Peter, who are broken by the realization of who we are in comparison to Jesus Christ? But here's the miracle of it. That realization of who we are in comparison to Jesus Christ makes Christ's love for us all the greater. Despite the chasm between his holiness and our sin, Christ was given for us. That song said that he's the offering. I, I really appreciated that lyric. He came and died for us that we might have life eternal. That is a great and glorious Christmas gift. How are we to respond to that? How did the people respond when they saw Jesus flex his authority and heal the paralyzed man? They left glorifying and praising God. As the church, as followers of Jesus, when we see and experience the miracle of forgiveness of our sins. Now, again, how do we see Luke set this up? Miracle of a cleansed leper. Miracle of a paralyzed man healed. Miracle of someone being freed from their sin. It's a miracle. When we see someone or when we personally experience the miracle of the forgiveness of our sin, how do we respond? Do we respond with thanksgiving, grateful hearts, praise, glorifying God? That's our challenge as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't follow Jesus Christ and you want to know more about this Jesus who gave himself for those uh, in need, for those who were less holy than he was, we would love to talk with you more about what it is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. So as we sing these last two songs, this is our opportunity to respond. Are we going to respond with thanksgiving? Are we going to respond with grateful hearts? Or are we going to be like the Pharisees and, and, and think to ourselves, Jesus is here for somebody else. He surely isn't here for me. How are you going to respond? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, your son. Lord, I pray as we sing these songs that our hearts would be turned toward your goodness and your glory. Help us, Lord, to encourage each other to remember why this Christmas season is so important. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today who needs to know you, who, who sees that uh, they have more in common with this tax collector, 
Lord, I pray that they would see your love, your mercy, your grace be extended, that they would see how you drew close to the sinner and counted him as one of your own, including him in the 12 disciples. What a powerful thing for us to see, that no one is disqualified under the grace of Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.